Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Your word records the Lord so many. Father, it takes faith for us to trust you for a miracle of the size that we're seeking today. Let our faith arise. In spite of what we see, Lord, help us to say we believe together, Lord, in what you can do. And help us, in light of your mercy, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our act of spiritual worship. Thank you, Lord for the gift that it is to be called your people. For you have told us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you today that you would be glorified right here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the beautiful and precious name of Jesus. Fellowship Church, you can be seated. I'm going to sneak back here and get my chair and my table. How many of you, since the age of COVID, are grateful that we no longer do a standing greet? Anybody? I know some people didn't like that standing greet. They were like, oh, I don't like that standing greet. I loved it too, Lisa. I did, yeah. I kind of miss it. Think someday we'll get back to a standing greet? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, it's wonderful to be with you today. I am just so excited. Oh my gosh, we've been to church and back, haven't we already? Man, is that beautiful or not? Come on. Incredible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, today I have the honor of continuing in this little new series called The Return. And you were with us last time. Is this a wake-up call? This is a little video that I want to show you. I forgot that was there, so I'm going to go back to that. I want to show you a little video. It's called a Kairos Moment. And this is going to help you again, remind you of the national movement that we're now joining. So let's go ahead and take a look at this video together. Is this a wake-up call? Is God trying to reach us, warn us, call us back? The time to pray, to seek his face, may never come again. If we do not return now, we may pass the point of no return. God is calling. Return to me, and I will return to you. I will restore you and heal your land. The time is late. The return, the global day of repentance and prayer. It is time to return. So that's um, part of the movement. You can go ahead and clap. Who wants to clap? Let's clap. So we kind of rolled this out last time to you um, that we're joining this national movement because we've been praying that national leadership would rise up. So if you would be kind enough to say this out loud with me from Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So this is a promise from God, and I'm challenging you this morning along with myself to believe it. 
to believe that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We're going to talk primarily about that little chunk this morning. This act of humility before God and our act of crying out to God. Now, I'm going to cry out to God for us together now. And I just want you to listen a little bit for the pattern in which I pray. Because I do believe that Jesus gave us a pattern in which he called us to pray. We're going to talk about that more. But I want you to pray with me now. And I just want you to listen to how I pray. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father... Thank you that you are our Abba, that you are the one who has adopted us as your children, and we cry out to you now with the spiritual authority that you have given us as those you have grafted in, as those you have adopted as your kids. Lord, we acknowledge that you are our Father, but you are a King, and we submit ourselves to you now, and we bow our hearts and our minds and every aspect of our being to you. For we ask that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives and in this nation as it is in heaven. Father, as such, we ask that our will would be taken out of the equation, that our desires would no longer be important to us, but that you would replace our desires with yours. God, thank you for giving us our daily bread. Thank you that you are the bread of life and that you are every breath that we take and that you are closer than we can ever ask or imagine. Lord, we confess our sins to you. We acknowledge that they are many, but we thank you that you have forgiven every single one. We ask now that you would guard this time with your angels, that you would protect us from the evil one. And by the authority that you have given us, Satan or anything of you, I cast you out in the name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no place here. This is the house of God. And these are the people of God. Thank you, Lord God, that you are abounding in mercy, filled with love and righteousness. Thank you for who you are, that you are holy. And thank you for all that you're doing and have yet to do. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus, the name above every name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So in this little prayer pattern, this is what I kind of did. I first acknowledged my position before God. I submitted before God. I acknowledged his provision. I confessed. I acknowledged and asked for his protection, and I praised him. Now, you're not gonna have to remember all that. It's way too much, right? This little prayer pattern, I really believe you already know. You just don't know that you know it. No, I think you know it. You just don't know that you know it. You know why? How many of you know the Our Father? Would you say that with me, please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to talk about that prayer today because you have to understand something. Jesus didn't teach people to pray that prayer word for word. So some of the things that we do in our evangelical culture in the Christian community really don't get to the heart of what Jesus was trying to teach. He did not say, pray these words. He said, when you pray, pray in this way. 
He said, this is the manner of your prayer. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But you see, a lot of us, we pick up things and we kind of just do them verbatim. We just go around walking around like, well, and some of us say those words and we don't even really know what they mean. They've lost their meaning. I mean, how many of you use the word thy in your regular language? Do you use that word? Husband, would you get thy book for me? You don't speak in old English. You say your. And so, you know, God is our father in heaven. We speak to him like our dad. He's also our king. (laughs) We're going to talk about that more. But last week I challenged you that now is a time for us to wake up together. Now is a time for us to weep together. And now is a time for us to go to war together. And if you understood the shofar again playing in the beginning, this is a call that God gave us to repentance, to prayer, to seeking him like we've never sought him before. This is my challenge to myself right now and to you right now, to seek God as if you've never sought him before, to seek him in a whole new way, to seek him with such zeal and such passion. Like that, Alex? I worked the name of your church into my message already. To seek him with such zeal and such passion that you don't even recognize yourself. That's what I'm challenging you today to do. But... This prayer pattern is important to us, and it's something I'm going to challenge us in today. But before we do that, I want to challenge you in a new way. I I want to show you the season that we're in. Remember, we're going to be doing this season with people all around the planet, mostly around the nation, called Elul and the season of Teshuvah. And here are some dates that we've put in place. All this you can see on our website. Those of you online, you can go to our website. There's also a link to some things I'm going to talk about today that you'll see on on the Facebook page. So... I want to start with a question, though, this morning. And here's the question I want to ask you. Who is the worst sinner that you can think of? Who is absolutely the worst sinner that you can think of? I mean, you might go, well, Adolf Hitler. I mean, without question. Or you might go right alongside of him, Joseph Stalin or Karl Marx. Or you might go, well, certainly the Boston Strangler and people like him that that took so many lives and and, and raped and pillaged. But maybe we should get more biblical about this. Maybe you would say King Herod or someone like Jezebel or Elimelech or Delilah or Cain or even Pharaoh. How about Judas? Certainly Judas could be considered the worst sinner ever. I mean, my gosh, he betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Surely he has to be the worst sinner that you can think of. But let's take a look at this from Scripture because I believe this question is clearly spelled out and answered in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read these verses to you from 1 Timothy, and I want you to listen. This is our brother Paul. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, period. So what are you saying, Jeff? That the apostle Paul was the worst of all sinners? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that we're supposed to actually submit ourselves to God speaking through our brother Paul to adopt his vantage point. Can you say these words with me? I am the worst of sinners. Can you say that with me? I am the worst of sinners. Can you say it with me again? 
I am the worst of sinners. Can you say it again and believe it? I am the worst of sinners. Can you actually acknowledge before God that you know yourself enough to know just what you're capable of? And can you let go of thinking that somehow while you're bristling saying this, that your spouse is forgetting that you think they're the worst of sinners? Can you imagine what the world would be like if we all looked at ourselves with humility and bowed before our king and said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am the worst. I want to challenge you. I want to dare you to start saying that loud, loud. Can you memorize the scripture? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, rather than us putting our fingers at all those around us, rather than us kind of putting our fingers at our spouses or the family or the people out there, God is saying, I want you to take your own inventory. I want you to be aware of just how desperate you are for me. Now, there are many enlightened followers of Jesus that joined Paul over the millennium, you know. There was a newspaper competition at the London Times years ago. They sought to answer the question, what is the problem with the universe? And many people submitted these deep, you know, treatises, these philosophical treatises of what the problem with the universe was. Because, you know, even people that don't believe in God ask that question, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with the universe? And, and the most succinct And clearly answered submission was from a pastor, not a philosopher, not a social scientist, but a pastor. And he answered this way. He said, the problem with the universe is me. Can you say that? The problem with the universe is me. C.S. Lewis, many of you know him. He was this Cambridge scholar. He said, the nostril of the true Christian should be ever attentive to the inner cesspool. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't it just conjure up all kinds of images? The nostril of the true Christian should be ever attentive to the inner cesspool. Are you sniffing? You see, the more that we understand just how broken and sinful we are, the more the grace of God packs a punch. I'm talking about a punch that will land us into this place of glory that we can never ask or imagine. Because the Lord said, he who's been forgiven much, loves much. Do you know the depth of your sin? Do you know the depth of your own brokenness? The Lord calls you to look with him, to take his hand, and to walk into the depth of your own soul and to understand that apart from the grace of God, oh my Oh my. I want to look at some scripture this morning that will help bring this a little bit home. Here's from Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable before him. Haughty eyes, that's pride 
and judgment. A lying tongue, that's deception. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes, that's hatred, anger that harms. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, that's any actions of the flesh. A false witness who pours out lies, that's called slander. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community, that is divisiveness. Let's go on. Galatians 5, 21, 19 through 21. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are sitting out there going, well, I'm not doing too bad. I haven't been to an orgy recently. I mean, like, you know, I I, I haven't killed anybody. Can I help you understand something? It's not that you need to be doing all these things. God's standard for perfection and holiness is if you just do one. You've broken them all. Do you understand that? If you just, if you step out at once, God is so holy, God is so perfect. If you step out in one area, you've broken it all. Second of all, Jesus talked to religious people who walked around thinking that, well, I'm not so bad, I haven't committed adultery. Because I tell you the truth, if you've taken another woman or another man into your mind, you've already done it. And they go, what? What? You you mean if I've already done it in my mind, I've already done it, how is that possible? Well, we haven't murdered anybody. I tell you the truth, if you've been rageful or angry towards somebody in in a way that you've harmed them, you're already guilty of it. You see, he changed the measuring stick. He helped us understand something. We are all broken. We are all desperately sinful. And the more that we see this, the better off we will be. Some of you would say, well, how can anybody pass that test? Exactly. Exactly. There's only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could pass that test. Let me ask you a question. Are you busted yet? Let's keep going, though. You know, these scriptures that we've looked at, some people have kind of combined into this thing called the seven deadly sins. I'd like every single one of us, if you're capable, to stand together right now to your feet. Stand to your feet, please. That's right. Go ahead, stand up. If you're able to stand up, go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read through this list, and the minute I hit something that you have been guilty of or are currently guilty of, I want you to sit down. Pride. An inflated, unrealistic sense of self-worth. Thoughts of superiority. The attempt to do things in your own strength rather than relying on God and His. Envy. The thought that you are deserving the possession, success, virtues, and talents of another. Gluttony. An excessive desire for pleasures of eating and drinking. Lust. A selfish folk on sex for the desires of your own inordinate sexual and sensual pleasure. Anger. Thoughts and feelings of malice. I guess everybody's already sitting down, aren't we? Resentment and unforgiveness towards others. Greed, an ongoing and engrossing desire for possessions or for money. Sloth, a lack of spirit-empowered effort in the face of a godly and necessary task, causing it to go undone or to be done poorly. Look around the room for a minute. Do you see anybody standing? Not one. The scripture says this, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? 
Do you understand that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? And there's a universal truth and a necessary posture found in this scripture. The truth is that no one could stand. We're all guilty. We're all the worst of sinners. And the posture is this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. That posture has a name. It's called humility. And when you are humble before God, it's one of the best gifts you can ever experience. Because now... You're low enough to look up. You see, the opposite of humility is called pride. And it is the foundation of all sin. Listen to these words carefully that were spoken in the beginning of the book. Surely you will not die. For when you eat of it, you will be like God. You see, that's the root of the deception there, is that you can't trust God, therefore you have to be your own God. And pride is the root of that lie. And pride is at the root of all personal sin. Now, pride manifests itself in a myriad of ways, a myriad of ways. But can I tell you the way that I think pride manifests itself primarily? Here is the way that pride manifests itself the most in what we call prayerlessness. If you want to understand whether you are a prideful or a humble person, ask yourself how much time you spend on your knees every day. Ask yourself how much time you spend crying out to God every day. If you want to understand how prideful you are, ask yourself, Lord, am I living a life of communion with you? For if not, you are letting pride get the best of you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Do you understand that humility comes as a necessary ingredient to prayer? I didn't ask my precious wife about this, but you'll probably let me share this anyway. You're good like that. Tracy and I this week had a little row. You know what that means? It's a dignified way of saying we had a fight. It wasn't a knockdown drag out, but it could have got there, right, Spark? I don't think she liked me very much. I didn't frankly like her very much. We went to our little corners. Any of you married people can relate to that? I went to my little corner and I prayed. You know, God has a way, if I really want to listen to him in the midst of like a marital fight, he has a way of just like hitting me between the eyes. He goes, Jeff, I love you. But man, you are prideful. Man, you are prideful, Jeff. I said, God, what do you mean? He says, you think you can do this in your own strength. Have you not been convinced yet that you cannot make this thing work in your own strength? I went, oh my gosh. Today, Tracy and I have fought more together than we've prayed together. So I grabbed this pillow. (laughs) And I went down into my room with my precious wife and I said, I think I know our problem. And she looks at me, she goes, what's that? I said, we are prideful people. And the spirit of God hovered over my precious bride and I threw this pillow on the ground and I said, we need to be doing this. We got on our knees together, didn't we, Spark? 
And we prod out to God and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that we can live life in our own strength. Forgive us, God, for thinking we can make our marriage work. Lord, we are our problem. The worst of sinners. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. Make our lives different together. And we cried out to God for I don't know how long, but can I tell you something? We got up, we picked up this pillow, we hugged each other, and we went back to a different way of living. His way, not our way. You know what made the difference? Him and us on our knees. You have to participate with him. You must humble yourself before God. And the greatest manifestation of pride, I believe, to be prayerlessness. Because if you're your God, if you're your own God, why do you need to cry out to him? You've got it all together. Now, frankly, I would think that I would have learned this message after 36 years. I am still learning this. Is anybody going to say amen with me? Thank you that I'm not alone. I reflected on the truth of this, the talit, the prayer shawl. This is what I hung over Alex's shoulders today. You know, um, this is what the Hebrew used. Hebrew men wore these. And this is called a prayer shawl. And the prayer shawl is made in such a way that it points, it points the uh, Hebrew to the Ten Commandments. Um, I'm going to pass that one. And so if you know these Ten Commandments, you should kind of go and read them. It's in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. That means you shouldn't worship anyone or anything else. All guilty of that one. You shall make no idols. We've done a ton of that. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. It goes on and on and on. And of course, when it says do not murder, Jesus takes that to a whole other step. And he says, look, I tell you, if you've been unrighteously angry at someone, you've already done it. And so there's four corners on this, and the Jews would wear these. By the way, Jesus was wearing one of these. Remember when the woman who was hemorrhaging reached out and touched the hem of his garment? That's what she touched, the, the hem of his out, outer garment. This was the outer garment. Now, what they had looked different than this, um, but this is a more of a modern-day parashal. But this is still tied the way that the Hebrews had them. According to Scripture, there's five knots and eight strands on each of these corners. And if you take the strands and the knots and the, and the divisions of this, 613 commands in the scripture by 10 commandments. The f- five knots here, 10, 5, and 5, that's 10 commandments. And what would they do is they would hold the prayer shawl and they would tent up. So if it says, go into your prayer closet, okay, this, a lot of their homes didn't even have closets in them, but you have to understand, they say, go into your secret place. So they would tent, they would tent and pray, right? So what you do is you block out the outside. This is your secret place. And you go into the secret place and you cry out to God. And all the time you're holding on to his commandments, 613 laws and 10 commandments, and you're holding them in your hands. And an ancient Jew might pray an old covenant prayer like this, Father God, of all these laws that speak of your ways, your holiness, they speak against me in my ways. Lord, help me to obey your commands and fall on my face before you. That's a good prayer. That's an old covenant prayer, though. You see, because the conviction of their sinfulness might compel them to obey. That's repent. So I'm so sinful, God. Please, let that pain compel me to repent. And that's, that's a good compulsion. But can I tell you something? Jesus Christ changed everything. 
He changed everything. Do you know that the old covenant and the new covenant do not mix? Do you know if you take these 613 laws and these 10 commandments and you bundle them all up, the scripture says that stood opposed to you and to me. Why? Because we're sinful. And we could never be holy. Let me help you understand from Colossians what Jesus Christ did to some extent. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, we're holding on to this here, and we're understanding 613 laws and 10 commands. God, I can never do this. Listen, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So a new covenant prayer might look like something this, Lord Jesus Christ, all this stood against me. All of this stood against me, Lord. There's no way that I could ever, I could ever measure up. Lord, I am dead and I was dead, but by your grace, you made me alive again. You washed me free from all of my sin and you nailed all these laws and all these commandments to the cross with you that I now stand before you free, accepted and loved because of your grace. God, I now can approach your throne of grace with confidence Because of your sacrifice for me. I want you to understand something, children of God. We do not confess to be forgiven. We confess because we already are. Children of God, you do not repent in order to be loved and accepted. You repent because you already are. For the love of God compels us. Can you say that with me? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for the all and therefore all died. Do you understand that we died with Christ so that we could be raised again to life with Jesus? That means that all this that stood against us now has been forgiven. Can I tell you something? When you experience that kind of love, You live life differently. Do you know that kind of love? Listen, again, when we live a prayerless life, it's because we're walking in pride. But when we live a prayerless life, it's because we're not appropriating the very thing that Jesus Christ gave us at his death. I'm going to say that again. When we live prayerless lives, we are not appropriating the very thing that Jesus Christ died to give us. And it's one word, access. Can you say that with me? Access. Jesus Christ died to give you access to the throne of grace so that you can approach it with confidence, not based on anything you've done. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ so that you now can approach his throne room of grace with confidence to find help in your time of trouble. People of God, are we in trouble? Are we in trouble? I hope you'll agree that we are. But can I tell you something? Your nose doesn't have to leave the inner cesspool to realize you're in trouble. We can look around us in the world right now and realize that we're in a horrible state of trouble. But we need to focus on the trouble inside as well as the trouble on the outside and trust God to lead us in living prayerful lives. Yes, but how? That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, how. Now, as I told you, Jesus left us a prayer pattern. 
It's interesting that Jesus was praying one day in a certain place. You know, he did this a lot, right? He prayed a lot. The scripture says he regularly went away to a quiet, quiet place to pray. And the disciples, you know, they're just like a bump of bubbling guys like me. They don't really even know what's going on half the time. They miss what he's saying a lot of the time. I take great comfort in knowing that the disciples were really stupid like me. Anybody with me? Like he's saying these things and he's like, they're like, well, what about that? He's like, oh my gosh, you missed it completely. I'm missing things all the time. He's God, I'm not. And so, but here's the thing that was probably unmistakable to him. He said things like this. I only do what the father's doing. He lived a life of prayer and communion in relationship to his father. And he was demonstrating that in prayer. He regularly went away to pray. So one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Can you say that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. I really do hope that you'll learn to pray all over again this morning because I've been learning to pray all over again. Can I tell you something? All of us have a series of prayers that we regularly pray and that's called rote praying, right? When you pray right now, do you realize that you probably recall the same lines that you've prayed many times before? Anybody with me? Yeah. So like I've realized recently, I've been praying a certain number of lines for the last few months and I'm just saying them like, you know, I get to pray and I say the same thing. That's not my heart. That's just like regurgitating something. God doesn't want you just like regurgitating something. He wants you to pray from your heart. He wants to, you to talk to him. Like, like really share your heart with him. So the scripture goes on to say, he said to them, when you pray, this is the manner. That's what the word means in the translation there. This is the manner in which you should pray. Not just say these words. This is the way in which you should pray. Our Father, you are in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So remember, at the start of the message, I gave you these six words, position, submission, provision, confession, protection, and praise. You don't have to remember them. All you have to do is remember the prayer. And let the prayer stimulate you to pray in the way of Jesus. Jesus left us a prayer pattern. He gave us a way to pray. And here's the first thing we need to start with. We have to start with position. You see, the words, our Father, are so beautiful. How many of you had a dad? Everybody had a dad. I mean, whether you think you did or not, you had a dad. And whether you knew him or not, you had a dad. And some of your dads, they were pretty broken. Some of your dads hurt you. And that gave you a distorted image of fatherhood. Others of us had good dads, like I had a good dad. My dad's home with the Lord right now. I had a good dad, but he wasn't a perfect dad. He messed up. And there's really no perfect dad here on earth. But can I tell you something? You long to have a relationship with a good father. Do you know that father wounds are some of the deepest wounds you can have? Because your father is supposed to be that one who protects you and guides you and provides for you and yes, corrects you when you're out of step. 
to say to you, get back in line. You're stepping out of the way right now. You see, your dad is supposed to be there for you in that way, to provide, protect, to guide, and correct. Can you say this with me? Provide, protect, guide, and correct. You see, the reason why your father does that for you is because he loves you. You are the apple of his eye. I don't know about you, but growing up, I looked at my dad regularly because I was little and he was big. And I I would be doing things and I'd look back at him. And you know what I want to do is I want to catch his eye. Why? Because I wanted to see if I was okay. Am I okay now, dad? Is this safe, dad? You still love me, dad? And you see, there's times I can tell you where those glances with my dad were incredibly positive things. There's other times where I'd look back at my dad and I'd see him go like this. And my heart would just drop. Why? Because I needed to know that my dad loved me and that I was okay with him. Jesus Christ changed the way that people saw a relationship with God. You know why? He, he not only used the word father, but he used the word Abba. Say that with me. Abba. Abba. See, I, I remember seeing this when I was in an airport somewhere in Germany or something like that. There were a bunch of um, like kind of Jews there, Orthodox Jews, and I could tell the way they were dressed and stuff. And there was this little strip, this strippy little guy. And this little boy, and he turns around and he goes, Abba, Abba. And he's pulling on the hem, the garment, his dad's garment. He's saying, Abba. And you know what that means? Daddy. Daddy. Do you see God as your daddy? Do you see him as your pop? Do you see him as the one who loves you? Do you see him looking at you and saying, I accept you perfectly and you are the apple of my eye. God, you are my father and I am your son and you love me deeply. Our father. Our father. See, just those two words can change the way that you pray. If you understand who your father is and how much he loves you, he's your dad. And he's in heaven. Our father, you are in heaven. Let me understand something. The Jew had a perspective on heaven that's different than most of us have. The Jew had a perspective on heaven that there were different realms of heaven. You see, there were, and Paul even said this, I went to the third level of heaven. He talks about that, okay? But can I tell you something? The Jew didn't think of heaven as just being up there. Heaven was right here. This is why Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. He's saying it's right here. It's as close as your breath. The scripture says God is nearer than you think. So when you say you are in heaven, you're not saying, God, you're just up there. God, you are right here. You are closer than my breath. My daddy, you're right here with me. You are so intimate with me. And God, not only that, but your presence goes right from here as close as my breath all the way to the end of the universe. Wherever I go, there you are. Do you understand your father never leaves you? Never. So we acknowledge his position and we acknowledge ours. And can I tell you something? When you are grafted into the family of God, when you become a son or a daughter of God, you are given authority. Say this after me. I have authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Now look, I realize I'm not going to get through this message in time, but I got to say this. Our children had some level of authority while they were here at Grace Fellowship Church because this is a Metron and I'm their dad. I remember one time our oldest, 
He was out in somewhere in the church here, and he encountered someone who was bullying other people. I was so proud of him. He was like a teenager. He was like 12. He stood up to that boy and he said, can I tell you something? We don't do things that way here. You know how he felt the authority to say that to someone who was like three times his size? Because he's my son. Now, by the way, anybody messes with my son, they mess with me. You understand where I'm coming from? He was sent out. Because he understood the grace of God. He understood the forgiveness of God. He understood that all these things stood against us, Alex. All this stood against us. And that he was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, this has been nailed to the cross. That's been nailed to the cross for you. It's gone. And we don't treat each other like that here. Bub. (laughs) You've been released with authority from God. You are his child And this is your position in him. So he is your father, but he is also your king. Position always leads to submission. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This means we bow down before him. We allow him to exchange our desires with his desires, our thoughts with his thoughts. It's no longer our way, but it's his way. Now look, when you pray this way, our father, you are in heaven. Abba, you're my dad. You love me, I love you. I've been given authority. God, may your kingdom come in my life, but guess what? Not just in my life, but in your church, in my family, in my community, in the government of this nation. Lord Jesus, right now, I lift to you Kamala Harris. I pray in the name of Jesus for President Donald Trump. I pray in the name of Jesus for Joe Biden. I pray in the name of Jesus for Nancy Pelosi. I'm trying to trigger you all equally. I pray now in the name of Jesus that they would come under your sovereign kingship that they would acknowledge you as Lord, Lord God, that they would actually submit themselves because you are king over them. They just don't know it, some of them, Lord. So I pray now in your precious name that they would come into your lordship, Lord God, and that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in their hearts and in their lives. And Lord, as a result of that, that would change this nation to return to you. Do you understand? You understand? See, this is what we do. We pray in kingship. We pray in kingship, not just for ourselves, but for others. For this leads to submission. Understanding our position and God's position leads to submission. Gosh, I could preach on this for six months. I'm sorry I'm going so fast. Ask for today's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me help you understand something. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Do you understand that he is what you need? But he also says this, give us our daily bread. This ties to the manna in the desert. Why? Because the Israelites were given manna every day just enough for one day. How many of you worry about tomorrow? You know what? This little prayer will guide you to a place where you realize just for today, one day at a time, Lord, I ask that you give me what I need. And that's not just physical things. That's my spiritual energy. That's the the insight to see. That's the wisdom that I need to love my children, my wife, the people around me well. We ask for God's provision today. And then we move closer through confession. Listen, as we bring our hearts before God, God calls us to acknowledge our sin before him, not to be forgiven, but to agree with him about our condition, and to receive the forgiveness that is already ours in Christ Jesus. This is a new covenant understanding. Jesus Christ died once and for all sin, 
for all sin. Past, present, and future. You have been washed clean of everything. So when we confess before God, we take a daily inventory. If you have a problem with that, just open up the word of God. If you have a problem acknowledging what's wrong with you, go to some of the passages I've looked at. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Anybody dead yet? Love is kind. Love is gentle. It doesn't boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now we're all busted. You see, we go to the word because it's sharper than any double-edged sword and we allow the Lord to lead us into confession, but then we also take a relational inventory. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I have gone through this recently. Forgive. God, I forgive my wife. God, I forgive my children. God, I forgive the people in your church. God, I forgive. God, I forgive. God, I forgive. And when you say these words, I forgive, even though you may not feel it in your heart, it starts to sink down from your head to your heart. And you know what? You walk differently. We're called to confess. And then we seek him for protection. Now, this morning, I'm going to bring you something that's different. It's a little different. It's a little challenging. I'm going to be honest with you, it's challenging. And I'm going to speak very clearly from my heart, which I believe is the heart of God in this matter. But then I want to reveal to you that things are not always what they seem. There is evil that is constantly seeking to establish strongholds and footholds, not only in our lives, but in our culture and in this nation and around the world. I could talk to you about this a lot, but I don't have time. But today I want to talk about Black Lives Matter. It's a hot button for a lot of people. And I want to say here today that God's heart is to stand absolutely opposed to any form of racism. Okay, I just, it's out that loud, any form of racism. So God calls us to stand against this evil in his name and to examine our own hearts in such a way that we stand with our black brothers and sisters in the persecution that they have experienced as a result of their race. We must do that as people who follow God. We must. You have to read the word and understand that whether, no matter what color you are, no matter what creed you are, this whole idea of racism is opposed to God's heart. Why? Because all of us are created in the image of God. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So what I reveal to you today will show you, I believe, that there's evil afoot in this organization I want you to understand God's heart is still for racial reconciliation and for an end to racism in all of its forms. So I want to play you some clips so you can hear from the founders of Black Lives Matter. Now, the reason why this is important, I'm using this as an example, is you have to understand that things are not always what they appear. They're not always what they appear. So first, I'm going to let you um, hear from Patrice Culler. She is the co-founder of the organization of Black Lives Matter. Then you're going to hear from Dr. Melina Abdullah, who's a, a professor of African studies at California State University, but she's also the founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. So I'm just going to play the first clip. Let's go ahead and listen. We actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Okay, so I'm going to stop there, and some of you might be saying, well, so what, Jeff? She said they're trained Marxists. That's just a political ideology. Can I help you understand something? It's not. Marxism is not just a political ideology. Karl Marx was a Satanist. Now, when I say that, you you go do the research on your own. Read a book by uh, Richard Wumbrin, 
okay, who is a devout follower of Jesus Christ. The book is called Marx and Satan. Just read that book. Political ideologies either manifest the truth of the kingdom of God or they manifest the truth of the kingdom of Satan. All of our laws and all of our legislators derive from somewhere. This is why I believe that Christians should be involved politically. Why? Because God deeply cares about how people are governed. I'll get off that soapbox for a minute because we're not done. So, listen, she said they're trained Marxists. You're like, so big what? Well, let's listen to this next one from Melina Abdullah. Let's try this next one. When we come out into the streets and we pray, you know, the first thing that we do when we hear of a murder is we come out, we pray, we pour libation, we build with the community where um, the person's life was stolen. And it took almost a year for me to realize that this movement is much more than a racial and social justice movement. At its core, it's a spiritual movement because we're literally standing on spilled blood, right? And you can't pretend like that's work that's just like some organizing work. That's, you know, that's some serious stuff, right? Okay, so let's start here. She says, and we pray. Now, at face value, that sounds good. Well, they pray. That's a good thing, right, Jeff? If somebody says they're praying, you always have to ask the question, who are you praying to? Always ask the question, protect us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. So who are you praying to? Then she got a little more specific. She said, we pour out libations. Did you hear that? That's an occult practice. That's associated with witchcraft. She said at its core, it's not just a social justice movement. It's a spiritual movement. If somebody says it's a spiritual movement, now you need to start testing the spirits and ask yourself, is this God's Holy Spirit or is this some other spirit? Now, I think it's going to become clearer as we listen again. Let's go on. We're going to listen now to this next clip from Melina when she starts saying, maybe I'm sharing too much. Listen. Maybe I'm sharing too much, but we become very intimate with the spirits that we call on regularly, right? Like each of them seems to have a different presence and personality. You know, I laugh a lot with Waikisha, you know, and I didn't meet her in her body, right? I met her through this work. Start to hear what I'm hearing? So we get intimate with these spirits. I laugh a lot with Wakisha, but I didn't meet her in her body. Uh, We're going to go on so you can see the fuller picture, but you have to understand what's developing here. These are not my words, but these are the words of the founders of this organization. Let's listen to the next clip. It's a very important practice. Um, Hashtags are, for us, are way more than a hashtag. It is um, literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. I started to feel personally connected and responsible and accountable to them, um, both from a deeply political place, but also from a deeply spiritual place. And um, always, you know, in, in, in my tradition, you offer things that that your loved one who passed away would want, you know, um, whether it's like honey or tobacco, things like that. And that's 
it's so important, not just for us to be in direct relationship to our people who've passed, but also for them to know they we've remembered them. Um, I, I believe so many of them work through us. Okay, so it just takes it a little farther here. Now she's saying we resurrect spirits. We resurrect spirits and we offer them these libations, honey and tobacco, and they work through us to accomplish the work. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? I pray that you're awake enough to hear what I'm hearing. You need to stay awake, people of God. You need to understand that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You have to understand that he will take good causes and he will use them for his work. We're going to go on. Here's the final clip. Listen to this one. When we say the names, right, so we speak their names, we say her name, say their names, we do that all the time, that you kind of invoke that spirit, and then those spirits actually become present with you. So I don't know if you've seen some of the rallying that's going around our country, but what they're doing is they're saying, say their names, say their names, and then they're chanting the name of this dead person. And here is the founder of the movement saying that's calling them up from the dead. And these spirits are then working through us. I'm not saying this. You can get angry at me if you want. I'm not saying this. They're saying it about the work that they are doing. Now, I can, you know, there's a clip on my Facebook page you can go to. This is from the Hamilton Corner, the devout follower of Jesus who happens to be a black man who was the first one to reveal this to me. And I'm watching him reveal this and I'm going... Holy crow. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you something? By the grace of God, I'm a man of prayer. By the grace of God, several months ago, people came to me and they said, you need to start allying yourself with Black Lives Matter. And can I tell you something? I went, I don't think so. Why? Don't you care about black people? Of course I love black people. But there's something not right about this organization. And they said, well, what's not right about it? I said, I never hear Jesus' name anywhere. I never hear Jesus' name anywhere. People of God, you have to test the spirits. Listen to Deuteronomy. When you enter the land, the Lord his God is giving you. Do not learn to be, imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, who is a medium or a spiritist who consults the dead. Do you know the word of God? If you use it as a sword, then God will guide you away from evil. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if you saw this video of people being harassed in Washington, D.C. in a diner recently by a group of Black Lives Matter folks. Now, again, I'm not knocking any of those folks. I just think they're pawns in a much bigger game. But they're yelling in the face of these people sitting in a diner. They're getting up into their faces and they're yelling and they're putting their fists up in the air and they're saying, say your name, say your name, say your name. And there's one woman, she's just sitting there. She's very composed. She's very polite. She's not kicking back. She's just sitting there and her face is down. And she's refusing to participate. 
And oh, the enemy tipped his hand. There's one of the young ladies who was kind of possessed with this whole mob mentality. She looks up to her and she goes, are you a Christian? Oh, the enemy tipped his hand, didn't he? Are you one who calls on the name of Jesus? You understand if you are one who calls on the name of Jesus, there is a lot of opposition to you out there because of the one who lives in you. The question is, will you refuse to participate with the enemy's schemes? Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has, that has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Or does, yeah, This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now is already at work in the world. You, dear children who have a father in heaven, are from God, and you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you understand? The one that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, stand to your feet, please. If you believe that, I want you to praise God, the God of miracles, in a way that you've never praised Him before. Because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And God has called you to call on your Abba and walk in the authority of your God in such a way that you bring His supernatural love everywhere you go. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I call on you as my Father now. I lift to you the one you created called Melina Abdullah. I lift to you now the one you created called Patrice Colors. I thank you that your love for them is so prevalent, God. I praise you, Lord Jesus, that you love them, you love them, you love them. And Lord, we cry out to you now in your precious name that they would renounce this evil and that they would submit themselves to your kingship, Lord. I ask now in your precious name that you would open their eyes, Lord. Any curses or any spells that are coming against the people of God, we bind them up now in the authority of Jesus Christ. And we send them back to their point and source of origin with a spirit of love, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, patience, and peace. We thank you, Lord God, that you have endowed us with your supernatural love. Thank you, Lord. You've called us to engage in this spiritual battle with everything we have for you. We ask from this day forward, God, that we once again would humble ourselves before you and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. We ask this all in the precious name of Yeshua and all God's people said. Let's sing this one closing song together. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. 
Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.